right, so we have, I to me, the legend, Amari Stoudemire. I remember watching you play many days, and you're not that much older than me, but I just respect game. And so we have Amari, Amari Stoudemire on there, and I want to just start out because I've been talking a lot about entrepreneurs and athletes and just finding your own path. And we both have something in common where I played overseas in Israel for two seasons. I played for Maccabi Ashdod and what is it, Ramah Hasharon. Uh, who did you play for overseas? Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who did you play for? for? I played for Apoya Jerusalem and I played for Maccabi Tel Aviv. Okay, okay. So he, you played for the big boys, okay. But <laughs> while you were there... In 2018, you must have been feeling good about the mother country because you launched a kosher, you you launched a wine um, and it was Amari, a st sorry, Stoudemire Cellars. Can you just tell me about how that came about? What made you want to get into the wine business? Yeah, I was, um, you know what, I was, uh, I traveled the world a lot doing wine tasting, right? So I did that for like two years. And then I moved to New York and I had these wine tasting at my rooftop in New York. And the guy that brought the wine by was a friend of mine, but he was mentioned to me like I should I should start my own wine company. And so I was like, all right, cool, let's, let's think about it. But I met I met a I met a, a, a winery out in Israel and we had conversations about it. And that's kind of how it started. We just kind of took it from there. So you like you just started from scratch, never really had a background in anything like that. And did you how involved were you in like the creative process? Did you kind of just were you hands-on or did you just say, hey, I like this type? And y'all have at it. I was hands on. I was completely hands on. Like I was, um, I went through all the different juices. I tasted every blend. Um, I had my guy from Arizona create the labels for me. And the label, the labels took about you know six months to get the label figured out. It took about four months to find and the right. Six juices. months just for the design of the label. Like just, I'm trying to put it in picture because I had. I have a lot of entrepreneurs on here. So people that are creating things, I like to, to explain to them the process. It's not, it's not like this. You don't just say you want a wine and you got a wine. It took you six months to create the label. What was that like? Yeah, so I had to, I had to figure out exactly what I wanted, like what style. So I wanted something that was for the Israeli wine. It's my first collection. I wanted something that was like timeless and something that was like royal. So I, I figured out I wanted something. When I created the wine, the, 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 the label, we went through a lot of different, you know, spectrums of what we were thinking. And we narrowed down to about a good 10 solid ideas. And I went into like this design mode from there and figured it out. Dang, that's crazy. And so once you finally had the wine that you liked and, and everything was right, the labels, what was it like now being on the other side of things in a sense of your entrepreneur? How did you get it? Like, how did you market it? How are you going to get it out there? There's a lot of different wines. What makes yours different? Well, the start of my wines is a kosher wine, right? So it's, it's always great for the festivities, for the holidays, um, you know, family affairs and have a nice, clean, clean, healthy wine to drink. Um, and, and so that's one differentiator. And then the other one is uh, there's not a lot of Israeli wines that are popular. Um, so I think this is one that's, that a lot of people are, are gravitating to because it's a popular culture Israeli wine. And I'm the only African-American culture winemaker in the world. So that I want to really tap into wow. that space and kind of change the narrative wow. on, that, on that side. Wow, okay, so, and this isn't your, that's pretty lit that you're one of the only ones out there, um, the only. 
This isn't your first off-court venture, though, because if I do recall, you had a record label, a clothing line, you've acted, I mean, children's books. You've always, where did that bug come from that you didn't want to just be an athlete, you wanted to be more? Well, I mean, I always had like an entrepreneur mind, right? I grew up, I grew up like with a, uh, with, with a leadership mindset, wanted to kind of, you know, do something different and be, well, just be who I am, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think when I got into the NBA, uh, being me just manifested along the way. And a lot of these opportunities came my way because it was just a passion of mine that just gravitated to me and I was able to take advantage of it. I love that. And so you talked about the NBA. I mean, you played for the Phoenix Suns, <clears throat> the New York Knicks, the Dallas Mavs, Miami Heat before retiring. But now you're on the other side in the and on the coaching seat with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, we all know the Brooklyn Nets are legit this year. Can you just talk about what it's like to go from player to now you went to player development and now coaching? Yeah, so I mean, for me, it was a little bit different for me because I just played last year. I won a championship yeah. last year. I got the finals MVP. So I was still technically in player mode uh, when I got this job. And so I had to somewhat shift my whole mentality from like being a player to coaching. And it, it took some time for me to get that understanding down because I felt, you know, I feel I feel like I'm in great shape and I want to continue to play. But uh, now being able to get, give over my expertise, you know what I'm saying, to the players uh, is I'm finding, I'm finding a lot of gratification from that. So do you work out any still with them? Like, do you get out there and the, and the work out in the drills or anything like that? I mean, since you're in great shape. Yeah, yeah, we get active. So we have we have a group, we have a group, a stay ready group. So we always keep them ready. So when it's time to play, you know what I'm saying? I'm always there suited up. And then, you know, and when the guys want to get extra runs in, I'm, all, I'm always there, to, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to jump in there. So I'm, I'm always ready to get down. Oh, I like that, the stay ready group. I'm about to, to adopt that. And so talk about your group. I mean, there's a lot of people that are looking at the Brooklyn Nets. You know, I cover the Atlanta Hawks here, the broadcast team. I'm, I cover them every game. And we're in the East. And you guys, uh, as long as, along with the 76ers, are looking like the teams to beat. Can you just talk about y'all season and how it developed and where y'all are? Yeah, I think the coaching staff, you know, with, with Nash and, and Jock Vaughn and, and Mike D'Antoni, uh, you know, those guys put together a hell of a game plan. You know, they, they sit down and drop all the ins, ins and outs, the X and O's, and they, and they put together an entire game plan. Uh, and so for me, I'm like a fly on the wall kind of guy. Like I'm learning so much about the front office, coaching, analytics. I'm just soaking it all up to see where, where my career is going to go in the future, right? In a learning stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, with the team that we had, we have a solid team. Uh, we, we was able to manage with a few ups and downs, with injuries, retirements, and so forth. Um, but we still was able to keep the guys in good shape and we still got the, the number one seed in the East so far. Yeah, and you talked about it, like, because a lot of people, like for me, I started out in broadcasting. I was doing the color commentating, but then when I had a taste of in-studio, I realized, dang, I like in-studio more. Is there something that you're leaning towards more that you can see, like I gravitate towards the analytics or I like being the player development guy? Is there something that you're leaning towards more when it comes to that coaching um, space? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning. I'm leaning more toward the front office space, learning more about that world and figuring out how that works. Uh, that takes more of a learning curve than coaching, right? Coaching for me will become yeah. easy because I played so many years, but the front office space needs a lot more uh, learning. So I'm leaning toward toward that space a little bit more. And I just I talk about this a lot because I'm a player turned exec, 
And so a lot of times people don't see athletes in that space. We play the game all of our lives. We've gave our blood, sweat, tears to it. And then people don't see us as being that high management role. Can you just, I always tell people, I think that should be the natural progression, but can you talk about what it's like to one work for, you work for a former athlete and a Steve Nash and what that's like, that dynamic, like when you build a team atmosphere and what that can do in a management role. Like a lot of people would say, you might not be qualified because you haven't done X amount of years in, in corporate, but why would you think you are qualified? Well, I think, you know, from a culture standpoint, uh, obviously there's, there's, you know, a learning curve, right? How to break down film, how to articulate your message to your players, how to manage talent, how to manage emotions within the players, um, you know, how to draw plays, X and O, and get the strategy figured out. There's a lot of, there's, there's also learning within that, but for a lot of us players, we play before, so we know the game, right? You know, you play the game, you know, you're on the court, you're figuring the game out on the court. Like you, you're like a coach out there on the court. Um, so that transition over into coaching easier. Um, so I think, I think, you know, front office work requires, education requires you to understand how to break down numbers and, and figure out how, how, you know, certain scenarios can work with your team. Um, so I think both coaching and front office require a learning curve. Oh, I agree. And so what are your thoughts on, on just the, the truncated shortened season and, and, and then the play in game? I know you guys don't have to worry about it, but it's been a hot topic in the NBA in a sense of some people love the play-in game because it gives teams the opportunity to have that one-shot chance to get in. But then some people don't like it because the, short, the season has already been so condensed. What are your, do you have opinion? What are your stance on that? You know, I haven't thought about that much. I think for me, I played in, in, in an era where we played the regular playoffs. You made the AC, you win. Uh, but that is changing now. I think it adds some excitement to the game. You know, people, you know, it's like, it's more excitement, right? You want to one, one or go home moment. So it's like, uh, it creates that March Madness kind of atmosphere. To yeah. Uh, so I'm cool with it. Yeah. So, okay. You talked about something. So I'm used to the same thing as well. We have a certain way that we go about sports in America. And we saw you played overseas. So you understand how it works where teams can be in the premier league one year. And if they're the bottom team, they can fall out kind of like to what, that's kind of what all of Europe does, but they have a lot of different ways in doing things. What's something that, ha like how Europe sports function that you like that maybe you think would be cool if, if America adopted it? If, is there anything there? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, I just think that the atmosphere of like playing over in Europe is, is uh, it's intriguing because for us, we travel to remote countries. We travel to Athens, Madrid, travel around the world. So we experienced this, you know, this European vibe. I think the NBA has a touch of that. Um, but if I was to take something from like Europe to the NBA, um, you know, I, I would just say like, you know, just the creativity from the bigs. The bigs are like very creative and very yeah. versatile. And they're able to put the ball on the floor and the traveling call in Europe is difficult, right? Because in the NBA, oh, yeah. you kind of take that quick first step. But in Europe, you got to put the ball down first you know, and so as a player, it allows you to develop your handles and certain skills uh, that for me, it helped my game. I improved as I got older overseas. I was getting better and better and better uh, because of that. Yeah, well, I mean, you were, yeah, you, you became the Israeli player of the year in, what was it, 2019, I believe, in their Premier League. But you're starting to see that in the NBA more where the bigs basically, 
I mean, look at Jokic. Uh, Joel Embiid has that style of play that you're talking about. It's starting to get highlighted more. And speaking of those couple players, I'm going to ask you a couple quick hitters. Who do you think right now would be your MVP this season? Ooh. Right now? <laughs> right now. Like, if you had to just decide right now. If I just had to decide an MVP right now, this moment. I mean, we're only about six games left from the regular season being over anyway. So it's it's pretty much decided anyway. Yeah, but if I had to choose, I'm choosing Steph Curry. Okay, why though? Because see, I like that. Because it's not the full year since he he started cooking and boy, did he cook. But why do you think Steph Curry MVP? I don't think there's a player in the game right now outside of, you know, you have you have you have you have Kevin, you have Kai, you have James, right? With the Nets, you have LeBron, obviously, you have great players in the league. But I haven't, I haven't seen a year like this where, you know, a player goes on that type of tear easily. Like, he, he, his numbers that he's putting up is incredible. Uh, and his team, and he's under the man, and he's trying to hold it down for his team. I think what I'm seeing from Steph Curry, uh, to me, I would give him the MVP vote at this moment. I agree. I mean, he uh, 74 threes in the month of April, something ridiculous like that, that it just doesn't make sense. Like, are you human? Who you got for your defensive player of the year? Defensive player of the year? Um, defensive player of the year. Man. Just throw some names out there. People are saying Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, Clint Capella. Just to throw some names out there, but you might have somebody else. I don't know, but I mean, okay, you can go, you can go with you can always go with Gobert, right? He's a he's a game changer in the paint. Yeah. He's blocking shots and changing a lot of shots. He may not get a lot of blocks, like you know, he, he can, you know, when guys are out to the basket, they change the shot. That's all the way to block shot, like you alter the shot. No, that's an alter shot counts. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So he has a lot of that. So I think Rudy could be. Uh, bringing home a second trophy. Okay. Uh, it, that's interesting because a lot of times, like, is it harder for a guard to be defensive player of the year just by how they break down the stats? Is it hard? Like, I always say, like, for a guard to be defensive player of the year, you have to be extraordinary because a post player could average three blocks and get the rebounds. Is that, like, I know you're a post player and I'm a guard, so we're we're talking from two different ends, but is it easier for a post player to get defensive player of the year if you just look through the years who's gotten it? Yeah, I think so. I think because the two stats that stand out the most is the steals or blocks, right? Um, yep. So if you have an extraordinary guard who's, who's locking down and has a lot of steals, then the guard can for sure get the MVP, uh, the most defensive player of the year award. But if you have a big who's blocking shots every night and controlling the paint, making it hard for teams to score, you know, in the paint, that's that's very valuable. Um, yep. So I think that's why a lot of the bigs end up with the with the uh, defensive player award. Okay, last question: Y'all getting the championship or not? I mean, I know you have to say you are, but tell me why. I know. Tell me why the Brooklyn Nets will win the championship this year. Then. I mean, nothing's for certain, right? You know, you got to work at it. You got to you got to you got to climb that ladder. Uh, but I think because we're so versatile. And if everyone's healthy and, and you know, and, and full strength, uh, we have a strong bench. We have veteran guys who know, you know, what it takes to win. Um, and so we got guys that are also hungry to win more. Uh, so I think those qualities are going to help us build the hunt. 
Listen, Amari Stoudemire, I thank you. The legend off the court and on the court. I thank you for hopping on here right quick and joining me for Remotely Renee. And I'm still waiting on my wine. I know y'all are sold out. So just to let people know, Stoudemire wines be sold out. That's a good sign for y'all, but I'm still waiting on my wine. I got you. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. your partner big boy interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood introducing neighbor to neighbor a california volunteers network that empowers you to take action contribute to local needs and be a part of something bigger than yourself visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community neighbor to neighbor it takes a neighborhood hello everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.